Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to Turn the Page podcast. Uh, this is Jessica, uh, one of your hosts. My co-host today is... Hi, I'm Jen. Thanks for coming. And we are here with an author who wrote a book that was um, so many things, I can't even begin to describe it. Um, So I'm going to let her introduce herself first, tell us um, from her perspective what the book is about, and then we can chat about it. Yeah. um, So I'm Claudia Lex, um, and... Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, this is really fun. This is actually my first podcast as an author. Uh, the first time I'm talking about this on a podcast forum. So I'm really uh, honored and pumped to be here. Um, in terms of the book, I mean, you you and me both. I wrote the thing and I have a hard time coming up with how to describe it. So um, I hear you and I've heard that as well from other people. I think that... Um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, it doesn't really conform to certain genres, because I kind of mix it up a lot. So, um, so I describe, do you want kind of my elevator pitch or what I would define it as genre wise? I think elevator pitch sounds good. Um, okay. oh, uh, but the title, the title, we have not mentioned. Oh, yeah, the title. Is called, <laughs> yeah, that's important. The book is called Sign Here. Um, and it comes out on October 25th, everywhere books are sold from uh, Berkeley through Penguin. And um, yeah, I so my elevator pitch, I'm, maybe you guys can help me with this, because this is something I'm trying to hone for this experience as I'm talking about it. And I feel like every the way I used to tell it, it would go, um, do you want to hear my elevator pitch? And then whoever I had cornered would say, yeah, sure, I guess. And then I would say, you know, this is a book that takes place largely in hell. Uh, the main character's name is Peyote Trip, at which point the other person would always go, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and then I would push past that, you know, but it was Peyote Trip. His name is Peyote Trip and he lives and works in hell. And, uh, you know, and, and he works on the fifth floor, which is the deals department. So he's the guy who shows up to take your souls um, if you need, if you want to sell them for something. And um, the book follows him as he follows one wealthy New England family as they spend their summer in New Hampshire. Um, and the book is really kind of focused on secrets and um, loss and kind of what the things that we don't say to each other how that can kind of fester and who the person whose attention that garners, you know, tends to be peyote trip, the guy from hell. So um, that's, yeah, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm working with right now. I'm not accustomed to such, uh, to people who really want to hear it as opposed to just people that I've, um, you know, cornered at a, in a living room somewhere. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that pitch. And, you know, I love that, like, um, you know, when I started reading the book, I, I thought it was going to be one thing. And as I got into it, I'm like, oh, this is this other thing. And also this other thing. And also this other thing. And one of the, th- you know, one of the things that I kind of like when I am, you know, pitching it to like people who I want to read it, I'm like, I thought it was going to be like office space in hell, but it's kind of more like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross in hell. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, and I think that for me, it feels, you know, it's been fascinating to kind of learn all these genres for starters. You know, I didn't know that, I mean, things have gotten so specific in their, in their genre vacation. I don't know if that's a word, but, um, and so, 
you know, I'm, I'm hearing paranormal fiction and I'm hearing horror and I'm hearing, you know, a bunch of things in addition to thriller and satire, which is kind of where, where my head was at when I was writing it. And I'm not a horror consumer. I, I get scared really easily. So to hear that my book is in the horror category, I'm actually like, wow, I'm a badass. All right. I'm not nearly as scared as I thought I was. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been an interesting, um, it's, it's a pretty amorphous kind of thing to nail down, which I, I have a lot of fun with. I think is kind of an exciting thing for a reader. I know it was an exciting thing as a writer, so. Yeah. It was so emotionally um, just like wrought this book, which is all of these things. It's got, you know, it's got comedy in it. It's got you know like your your office um drama comedy it's and it's got your family secrets thing and like uh, you know one of the things when I'm reading the book or when I read the book that I kept like kind of saying like once certain things hit I was like I did not sign up for this <laughs> you know I, I, you just you, but the you, book title demands yeah. that you do yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if that was um specific uh, something you thought of but really like what you're getting yourself into is um, a lot of emotion and what could have just been a very silly book um, which would not have been a bad thing really <laughs> was something that um, made you feel um, so I mean so basically so peyote like he wants he, he wants to get a matched set, which means what exactly? Uh, yeah, he needs to get five generations of the same family to sell their soul. So, um, you know, that means that he, yeah, he needs to get five different members of the same family of the, in different generations. Um, I think there's one family where he gets a couple of the same, in the same generation, but he needs to have the whole complete set of the, the trajectory. Um, and then he gets, he gets some promotions. One of the first things I thought about when I started crowdsourcing and thinking about what I wanted this hell to look like was um, the idea of, I had a line in there about how if you get this this complete set, you get a promotion and with that comes three vacation days. And if you take those in purgatory, they, they feel like a month. So like that was kind of a little bit of my <laughs> kind of bit in the beginning, but I wound up cutting that part. But yeah, the idea in the beginning of the book, as far as you know, is just that that's what he wants. He wants the promotion and he wants, um, you know, to get this complete set for that reason alone in the beginning in the beginning and there's um this family that he is kind of focused on he you, you talk a little bit about how time works in hell um you know a little bit about the different levels i suppose um but there's the harrison family and um the, they are the ones who are taking this trip and um they have this uh they have a son and they have a daughter who's like very much on the cusp of something. Um, you know, she's not fully formed in her own mind or her heart. She's not um, particularly confident or solidified in who she is. But um, she ends up making a friend who's got all the things that she almost like wants to be, even if she's kind of afraid of that. And that friend ends up coming on a vacation with them so it's like it bounces back and forth between peyote and his need to get another person from the harrison family in order to get his matched set and then exactly 
what the deal with this family is and, you know, like why and how he wants to make a deal with them. Um, and then there is the question of Calamity Ganon, <laughs> who um, is the new hire in Peyote's department, who is just ready to just blow up his opportunity. Um, yeah. 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 She's, uh, she's in it. She's in it for calamity, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if either of you are, um, or nerdy enough or are nerdy enough at the right time to, to recognize that reference, or I know I say it in the book also, but it's the name of the bad guy from the Zelda series. Yeah. My kids both dressed up as different versions of, um, Link from the Legend of Zelda, I, so I appreciate yeah. it. I, okay, I, that, that's a, that's the Halloween costume for this year. It was the costume of, um, our our library's convention. I'm possibly going to be Malin, and my kids have also told that my husband that he has to be the horse. <laughs> so I, <laughs> yeah. I might I might have to get him a horse mask. But we are we're we're. Oh, I love riding that horse. Yeah, that was like one of the best parts, and picking up all the little cabbages. Yeah. Uh, Ted, but you know, he's like, why do I have to be the horse? But um, I do know, I do know who Ganon is or Ganondorf, depending on what yeah. version of Zelda you're playing. So yeah, yeah that, was, uh, that was cool. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So that was, uh, you know, I, I heard that name um, whenever it was that that game came out, you know, a long time ago, I heard that name and, and got, um, and I always just thought it was a really beautiful name, uh, you know, but that's not the kind of thing you can like name a kid. Uh, so I felt like, you know, this was kind of the better way to, <laughs> to insert this name into my life. Yeah. I, in general, I love all of the names in this book, you know, and I, I would love to like find out more about like, uh, you know, how how the naming fits into like the really interesting and funny and upsetting world that you're building here, you know? Yeah. Um, and one thing I love in particular is that you have so many like far out there names like Peyote Trip and Calamity Ganon, but then there's like Trey, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like that is, but it's so fitting because he's just, he's such a, a Trey, like he's such a Trey, you know? So <laughs> he's, like, yeah, he's, he's that bro that you're yeah. just like, oh God, who would I? Yeah, invited um, Ray and his fraternity brothers here. Why? Yeah, <laughs> he's the guy who like won't leave college. Who like keeps going to the frat parties, you know, like uh, trying to relive the glory days. Yeah, no, I actually had, I had so much fun writing him. It was really fun to write the characters in Hell to really kind of let my inner jackass out. You know, I mean, that was really to be able to kind of really lean into the worst, in my opinion, the worst kind of man uh, with Trey. Uh, but yeah, with the names, so. Part Part of the thing, part of what I did in order to build this world was um, I started asking friends and strangers and people I rated to, you know, people I worked with, my family, whoever I could kind of talk to, I would start conversations about, you know, what if hell was just consistent discomfort and unpleasantness? You know, like, what if it was just like that forever? What would be in your hell? If it was catered to you, like, what would you have in there? You know, what would be your thing for sure? And one of the first answers I got was, um, like, cringy celebrity baby names. You know, like, people who, like, name their kids something like Miller Lite, you know, or whatever it is. And so that um, that's how I came up with, okay, I was like, all these characters have to have cheesy celebrity baby names. Like, it just has to happen. But then with KQ, um, so KQ's full name is and I don't know if y'all have looked at my website. I have, or if you knew this, but I have a um, packet that I, I talk about the hell orientation packet in the book, and I actually 
made a version of that packet and it's on my website. Um, so that has some more kind of kind of background information that's, you know, what happens on each level and um, the kind of turns of phrase that they use in the in the office. It kind of explains what some of those mean. Um, but in that document, you learn that KQ is actually short for kumquat. So that's her name. <laughs> but I couldn't couldn't take myself seriously when I would actually write kumquat. So in my like when I was just writing it to myself, I just called her KQ and then it stuck like that. So um, so that's kind of the idea that you get to hell and you get some kind of terrible celebrity baby name. Trey, I just it just cracked me up just to call him Trey, you know, because like everybody knows a Trey. Uh, so that was that was really the idea there. But I had so much fun and so much. So a lot of the details really came from that crowdsourcing and what I was doing to kind of talk to different people. And that's, you know, that's where a lot of, that's where the puddles came from and, and, you know, some other details as well. And then some of it is just my pet peeves, like those drink and ride bike trolley things that slow down traffic everywhere they go. Yeah. And, and like only one type of beer, right? And that's right. No beer. It's just the the underground. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Which like if you were in college in the early 21st century, that was actually your reality. Like there was only Jaeger. Like, <laughs> Exactly. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, without, without spilling too much uh, of my own stuff on, on podcasts, uh, I can say that Jaegermeister, I had a bad experience with Jaeger at a, um, one night when I was in college and um, just that's, that's why it had to be in there. You know, it's just one of those things that once you, (laughs) once you have a bad night with Jaeger, you can never go back. Yeah. I, I'm worried they're going to sue me. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, please. They have a lot of people who claim to like Jaeger. Oh, so, I know. That's the other thing that's been shocking is people have really come out of the woodwork in defense of Jaeger. So, you know, we're going to have I mean, I would say I, I would know one thing for my own personal hell, but I don't want to insult the author. <laughs> I'd be insulting on it, but it would be one particular person's book is the only book yeah. available. As long as you don't say my book, then no. that's fine. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I'm thinking, I'm like, I read, like, I know what it would be, but I don't want to insult <laughs> them or maybe like their publisher. So oh, sure. and, and, that makes sense. Really, they're very successful. Um, it's not James Patterson, by the way. I know everybody likes to really like, especially on TikTok, James Patterson gets a lot of, uh, gets a lot of, um, knocks, but it's not. Oh that yeah. 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 But I do, I do really like, um, I did really like just the whole, you know, like feeling like it's just, it's just very unpleasant. Everything is just very unpleasant. Yeah. Just, you know, just enough to make you be like, I just need to get out of here. Right. Um, but you really you build like you have this world building and you have this um, family building happening side by side. Um, and you learn a lot about the Harrison family. They, and, you know, I mean, their their daughter, Mickey. Is just too perfect. She's she's um, is she 13? I'm trying to remember. This is yeah, I know I say it in online because this is one of those things that copy editors, you know, like you track very carefully. And I made sure to like track this very well. I can't remember right now if she's, yeah, she, I believe she's, she's either 13 or 14. She's going into ninth grade, I think is how it's set up. Uh, yeah. And she has this, um, you know, her friend Ruth is like, you know, everything again, you know, she's, she's cool. She could hang out with the popular kids, but she's decided to 
pretty much hang out with Mickey and claim her as her best friend. And you, it, it just sort of changes a lot in a time of a lot of change. Um, you know, there's a lot, she's at a point and I, I focus on her cause I really feel like in a way she is like the center of the compass for this family and how this family like is kind of orbiting around their own secrets because while her brother is a little bit older, um, you know, and is a little bit more cynical uh, and sees certain things um, as maybe imperfect, she still is in that point where she feels that magic that you would feel when you're not quite a teenager yet. Um, and you still, you know, you still feel those feelings for your parents, but you also want to have break out and be with friends. And it was just a it was really interesting to sort of have just the cynicism of hell the purgatory of you know that her brother who's a teenager and not quite an adult and her parents who have screwed up in so many ways and then <laughs> just have like this really pure soul who's not quite there yet but you know eventually you know she's she's open to figuring out how she's gonna get to the next level right yeah no I think you're hitting on, on a really important theme that I was kind of playing with in this in this book which was the effect of time so you know I think that when we part of my point about this hell is that you know, I think he says in the beginning something, you know, along the lines of like, it wouldn't, not, none of these things would break you individually, but, you know, together with enough time, anything can break you. So I think part of the thing that, that scares me about the idea of eternal damnation, you know, one of the things, but I think for me, it's the idea that, you know, um, that there would be no, no exit and no possibility for growth or change, you know, and so he's really stagnant in this place. And I think also for, you know, looking at time from a human perspective, I think that we, um, you know, when, when you're that age, when you're 13, a summer feels like a lifetime, you know, you can make a best friend in two weeks, like a person that you would, you know, go to prison for, like you can, you know, do something, you will, you can make incredibly close connections, you can feel like you've grown up an enormous amount in a really short period of time. So I feel like there, and you do in a lot of ways, you know, there's just a lot of changes at that time. So I feel like, I wanted to kind of play with that juxtaposition of looking at what it actually means to have that much time and how much of a torture that would be. But then on this end, when we don't have an ex, when we do have an exit, that that time is a lot more sacred. Um, and, you know, kind of what do we do with, um, you know, the, the same kind of window of time in different ways and what is taking away that exit or that fact that you're only there for, you know, that sense that you're only there for a little bit. Um, you know, how do you kind of, how does time play with that? Um, so that's really, that's part of what I was looking at. So I love what you just said there about Ruth and Mickey too, because that's absolutely right. And Ruth and in a lot of ways, Peyote and Mickey are on similar journeys in the sense that they're figuring out who they are and what they value and, um, you know, and, and also kind of having the influence of a kind of precocious, very cool new friend, <laughs> Uh, you know, and what that kind of does to the equation. I found their relationship to be so fascinating and so complex. And like, you know, because when when I think, of, you know, when we think back about like our our most intense 
childhood friendships, we tend to remember them with these like very rosy colored glasses. And it was all about like being on equal footing and just like, you know, friendship and joy with no sort of like uh, asterisks on them, you know, but like their relationship is super complicated and like, um, it seems like class plays an effect in how they relate to each other, but also like experience and coolness, you know, and like, it would be hard to say like who has the upper hand all the time because there are things that they envy about each other, you know? And yeah, I think that like, currencies. yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And it really like, um, I, I think it also spoke to how at that age, you're kind of like just this like big open bleeding heart, you know, and that's right. that's why you can form these friendships so quickly and how they can also then just like destroy your life, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, the highs and the lows are so real at that age and so um, constant. And I think it's something too that, that actually carries on into adulthood a lot more than we as adults let children know, <laughs> you know, that in a lot of, I mean, one thing that I've noticed at least in my, uh, is my, in my experience so far in my thirties is that, um, we're all kind of making up what it means to be a grown up. We're all like, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of just spitballing it, like, you know, flying by the seat of our pants and figuring out what works as it works. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say there hasn't been a day that I've eaten frosting and a bottle of wine for dinner. I mean, it's happened, you what? know, like last night, I had a Carvel soft serve recent ice cream with hot fudge for dinner. I tricked my kids into thinking I had dinner beforehand, but I, my husband has been away on business since Monday. Uh-huh. And I was like, screw it. Yep. I'm in my freezer and I am eating this because yep. I am. But it's true. And I don't. You're an adult. You do what you want. Yeah. Exactly. But at the same time, you know, like what it's I'm going to hide it from your kids. Yeah. The kids are the enforcing factor on that one. Yeah. But like I, you know, because we'd like if my kids were like, can I have this for dinner? I'd be like, no. But yeah. I think one of the things that you're making a good point about and it's it's interesting to see, you know, because we we do kind of put on airs as we're supposed to be growing up. Um, and, you know, especially like. Ruth does have a lot of savvy and some power in some ways. Um, and it's interesting because like with Calamity and Peyote, when you kind of go back and you start learning more about them, like first you think one has the upper hand and then you think the other has the upper hand. But like one of the things I'm kind of realizing in my own life, and you talk a little bit, you know, about certain purgatories um I have I lost my mother this summer and I have an aging father who has um who has some health issues and you I think your mind sort of stays in a certain place at a point in adulthood and you stop realizing how old you're getting your body starts aging and you know, like things start happening that you have to be aware, like I'm aging, but you're, you look at high school and you're like, that was five, 10 years ago. What do you, what do you mean that this is going to, it's going to be my 30th? Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? I've been married for this long or, you know, like, absolutely. I I just, I just had that car 10 years ago, you know, you yeah. you're you're stuck and you don't realize that time is unsticking you until it's too late. Absolutely. That, that was my sad 
my sad observation. Of oh, thank you. Yeah, that's a really yeah. great way to go into the weekend. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I completely agree. And I think that that's something also that I was kind of playing with, with looking at Lily and Silas and the fact that they got pregnant so young, um, you know, and I think because of the privilege that they grew up in and the privilege that's been handed down in the sense that that house is kind of is an intergenerational thing. Um, you know, I think that for for them, I wanted to kind of look at what happens when you're in that adolescent state and then where everything's going fast and, you know, you've, you're in love with everybody around you and, you know, you don't know who you want or what, or but you're a kid, you know, you're figuring it out. And then all of a sudden you're asked to be a parent, not just an adult, but a parent, you know, someone who's supposed to be responsible for another person. Um, and so, and kind of looking at their decision to really just go for it, you know, to get married and really just rush the whole, like, you know, my opinion, <laughs> like talking about them, like they're like, like, oh man, don't tell them I said that. Uh, but you know, like, uh, you know, that it's that they, yeah, they kind of, they had like a certain stop. So you can see, or at least I was hoping with the book that the flashbacks to Sarah and the still the focus that's still happening on Sarah in that family 17 years later, I think kind of speaks to that dichotomy of, of being in the difference of time between being an adult and being, um, that age and then being in hell where there's no time at all. I, I think it's so funny because like, I, I just realized I had this very kind of nostalgic feeling for something, another property that I'm, I knew of while I was reading Silas and Lily. And it just kind of struck me that I was getting notes of um, American beauty Oh, um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Got that it. relationship between, um, you know, Kevin Spacey's character and Annette Bedding's character, where you could tell, like, they. The first person was, to bring that up. So thank you. Because I thought that that was, like, so blatant and, like, uncomfortable. And yeah. literally nobody's mentioned it yet. So, yeah. Really? I, yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay. I'm glad I got that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I got those notes in there, you know, of, like, these two people who. At one point, there was something and there was passion and they just kind of let like status and the fact that maybe they were too young when they had their kid or they made these choices that, you know, like just completely took them away from themselves because, you know, I'm I'm a high powered adult. I have to right. I have to do this. I have to portray this and just completely like blew everything up and are now just fundamentally screwed on so many levels um that that was totally like you know like what I was getting from their relationship yeah absolutely yeah and I think that that's something that I really yeah I wanted to be able to look at you know and also something you know I think that they didn't and Lily in particular and I think that I I like I always want to go to bat for Lily because I feel like a lot of people kind of um feel like you know write her off immediately for cheating and and like kind of have different um or you know just don't like this kind of and I think that it was really important for me as I was making you know I feel like I read so many books nowadays and in general where um but especially nowadays where the female protagonist excuse me her I should really be able to say that word I'm a writer um is uh is their primary trait is self-hatred you know, the main, the most important thing that they want the audience to the reader to know about them is that they hate themselves and they have no idea why anyone would want to hang out with them or save them or whatever, you know, and that seems to be a really big trope. 
And that drives me crazy. Like, I'm sick of that. You know, I think as women, we've been told to hate ourselves our whole lives and um, in for a myriad of different reasons. And I'm done. So I for me, like it was very important when I was talking to the people about the audiobook. you know, I wanted to make sure I told the, the person who orchestrated it, you know, I just really want to make sure that there's these women are not spoken in a breathy kind of, you know, damsel in distress kind of way. Like it's important to me that Lily, that all four of them, really Lily and, and Mickey and, and Sarah too. So the five kind of main women, Cal, but especially Lily and Cal be unapologetic and be very kind of, um, you know, have their flaws, but not just be constantly pontificating on how terrible they are. Um, Cause that was, that was just so it was getting old for me. And I think that, you know, as women, we're not allowed to make kind of mistakes that men get excused all the time for making. And so I wanted Lily to kind of be, you know, I wanted I wanted the reader to by the end, at least have a little bit of question or by the middle, you know, like I like, you know, oh, I kind of see her point. Like, I see why she did this. And that's kind of a big theme of the book in general is that I want people to kind of See, you know, I wanted to write a book about unlikable people and by the end make you like them or at least root for them or like be invested in them in some way or see them from a broader place. Um, and I think that that's just part of my social work background, too, is the idea of, of really trying to promote empathy. And I think reading is just such an incredible tool for that to be able to get into somebody else's head. I'm so, so glad you brought that up um, because something that like I was thinking was that like it really like the book puts their relationship under a microscope in a lot of ways. And it kind of does that therapy thing that's like, you know, what if we take a step back and stop assigning blame and just talk about cause and effect and motive mm -hmm. and, you know, all these things. And like it really allows you to sort of like look at this situation where it would be so easy to and very like probably attractive to assign blame and invoke shame in people, you know, and like just but to give you that chance to see it as like this is not like about monsters and villains. This is about just like messed up, complicated people, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And that was that was the most important thing to me. And that is the most important thing to me still about being a writer. And um, and it's my favorite thing about reading. You know, I love when I like really feel like a person is a real person and I actively miss them. Like they're my friends and I need to call them. And then I remember that they're fictional. Like that is like my favorite feeling ever. So and as you can tell, like I do a lot of reading. So I really like love to live in that world. And um, but I do think that the most interesting stories are the truly human ones. And I think the most interesting thing for us as people and as readers is to see ourselves in other people's messy stuff because we all have our own messy stuff too and if anyone says we don't we're lying you know so it's it's there uh and I feel like having you know being able to kind of yeah cut like have there be a little bit less of this black and white what's good and bad behavior you know because we do all come from different sets of circumstances and bring different things to the table so are you um going to be first of all like everybody read this book please 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 like don't like don't think like it's going to be too depressing <laughs> if you've made it this far um you know don't be like I thought it was going to be funnier or I thought it was going to be it is funny are you saying it's not funny no I'm kidding <laughs> funny. well that's just it you know and like it really just like crept up on me because it is it's very funny and like one minute you're laughing and you're just like oh my god that's amazing and then the next minute you're just like Heart, your heart is like pumping at a mi million miles a minute because you feel for these characters 
it's this is like this is what like a sleeper That's a dream to hear by the way thank yeah you. it's like exactly what i wanted when i was when i set out to do this so thank you so much that's really got it's, me in my heart it's like a sleeper emotional read it's not and in a way it's not sleeper as emotional read i'm going to quote you on that one for sure please do yeah. hey uh, that's that's my blurb sleeper emotional read. yeah in, in a in a different way i felt that way um about Yes. about um Grady Hendrix um uh my best friend's exorcism yeah. where it was again and it was this book is not as it's not graphic horror it, there's right. no body horror in this um right. you know but you know it is like it is very much like here's this crazy outward situation you know at crazy situation like in Grady's book it's like it's the 80s and my friend is getting possessed in the middle of the satanic panic and here it's like I demon- want him to do a Spotify playlist so bad sorry go ahead yeah oh, put on it <laughs> no I want him to do one for that book I mean the, the music like, references in that book are amazing they totally, they totally <laughs> do such are, a good job it, with that I'm it, so sorry it, I cut you off I just got excited yeah no it's totally cool because in this one it's like you know like the same thing like you think you're going in for one thing but you really really feel a lot there's so many feels so many emotions and it's wonderful um so I just I want to know are you writing something else would you ever revisit this world or have you kind of said everything you need to say about yeah. uh, the workplace in hell I mean, I don't think I can ever be done with workplace and hell. I mean, it's just a gift that keeps on giving. And because, you know, there's people are always going to, there's always going to be a ton of stuff that annoys us. So there will always be new things to add. Um, I do think that, um, so I am working on something else. I um, I have a second book coming out with Berkeley um, sometime um, in the next year or two. I don't really, this is my first time doing this, so I don't really know. But uh, so I have that, I'm working on that now. It's not a sequel, um, but it is you know, I love to poke holes in things and I love to kind of take um, your, like with Sign Here and with the, the, I wrote two books before Sign Here that did not um, get picked up. So just announcing that to any writers who are listening, who are feeling uh, dissuaged, uh, you know, this, it, this is my third manuscript. Um, second one, I actually didn't send in any publishers because it was garbage, but the first one I did and, uh, and, you know, and, and got rejections, kind rejections, but rejections all the same. Um, but yeah, so, oh, I just lost track of what I was saying. What was I just talking about? Uh, oh, the hell, right. So my next book is looking at kind of, um, a similar idea where you take the world as we know it, but then there's kind of this one big twist, this one kind of flip and looking at kind of how people, react to that change and what that look you know how what the fallout is for that um but it'll it'll touch on some similar topics but be a little bit different and there'll be a there's a whodunit twisty mystery in there as well sounds great I love, great. I love writing suspense because when I write I don't storyboard or plan ahead so I'm in as much suspense as the reader is which I think makes it really uh <laughs> fun yeah. for me to kind of be able to um yeah, just be along for the ride and see what happens. This was so much fun. Um, I agree. Thank you so much for being the best opening podcast for my experience. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So um, once again, please, everybody read this book. It was so good. Sign here by Claudia Lux. Amazing. 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 I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. So once again, this was Jessica with Turn the Page Podcast. Uh, my co-host was... Goodbye, it's Jen. Goodbye. And her guest was... 
I'm Claudia, Claudia Lex. Thank you so much, y'all. And yeah, if anybody wants to look at that hell orientation packet, it's on my website too, claudialex.com. Um, and it's, I cracked myself writing, writing oh, it. Myself so up. excited. <laughs> I'm really glad that there's more that I can read in this world right now, you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not done with it forever yet. Who knows? I love it. So we'll see. Thanks so much, y'all, for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so we are going to close this chapter of Turn the Page. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.